And welcome back to the MM Cast Masters of Modern Podcast. I am your host, Alex Kessler, here with a very special guest, straight from Wizards of the Coast, Mr. Andrew Brown. Hello, sir. Hello again. Um, I hope I can keep my mantle of most frequent guests on this podcast. Yeah, I mean, you were you were one of the first. I think you were like episode four. It was like me and Jimmy and uh, Glenn in like the first episode. And then I mm-hmm. think like second was Marshall, who is one of the editors of the past and the producer of the podcast now. And then Jules and then you, I think, were the first four. <laughs> Nice. And then nice. You, and I think like Eugene was the fifth one. And then Ben <laughs> was sixth. And then that was the last episode Glenn was on. And then Glenn went to work for Wizards. And now of those five guests, three work at Wizards. One makes the podcast. And Eugene no longer works at Tinder. But <laughs> no, yeah, he's, uh, he works for Reddit now. Reddit, right. So, yeah. So that that was the, the original six episodes. And then, yeah, you, we've been able to get you on a bunch since then throughout your whole uh, big pro tour run and and life as a pro player and now and now is as uh, one of the key players in play design at uh, at Watsi, mm-hmm. which which you did just recently I believe get a promotion so I guess the, to get started before we get into like <laughs> some of the early things how'd that go how's that feeling uh, I mean good <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what what emotion would you <laughs> would you like me to have yeah i guess i guess emotion is what so what does that mean what so you were where and where are you now in the hierarchy of things making and making magic uh i mean really there's no change it's mostly just a, a title and compensation sure adjustments that's it really got it got it and then and then so then I guess for people that are listening and don't know who you are, what what are your sure. responsibilities at Wizards uh, on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yeah, sure. So I'm the uh, technical lead of play design. And basically, long story short, um, all of the numbers, all like the final designs and final numbers have to go through me. And I'll make the final call on, you know, all of the numbers that involve main sets. Um, I don't really... I'm not really involved in uh, any of the ancillary products, but if it's uh, a draftable main set, then it uh, I'm the final call. The the last line of defense, perhaps. I don't know how you want to call it, but quality and- control, something <laughs> like that. And so that's that's like power and toughness on cards, costs on cards, uh, even the designs, themselves. even the designs, and, and what they do yeah. mechanically. Cool. Okay. Right. Um, and so, yeah, so we're going to be talking a little bit about that, a little bit of what's going on uh, before we jump too, too deep into that. Uh, big shout out to TCG Player. They uh, There's an affiliate code in the link below if you are interested in buying anything from them anytime soon. Just make sure to click on that link below. Doesn't cost you anything, but we get a small kickback for them. It's really appreciated. It makes it so we can make this podcast happen. Uh, and also make sure to check out our patron. We did a whole conversation. Every patron episode, uh, the episode gets released uh, a week early. So or like about a week, it gets released on uh, Thursday morning. Um, and then the actual episode comes out on Tuesdays and you get a bunch of uh, bonus content today. Me and Andrew talked a bunch about uh, TFT. He had a hot arcane take um, and and more. And if you want to hear all that, there's a whole extra 10 minutes at the beginning of each episode there. Uh, if you missed last week's uh, Shivam bot invaded me and Carson's episode, just jumped into the uh, the Discord channel and we dropped some hot knowledge on why uh, Imagine Dragons is overrated. So a lot of a lot of arcane content <laughs> over the last two weeks, but um, make sure to check that out 
for sure. And all of our Patreons are super appreciated. Thank you so much for making this podcast happen. Uh, and now the last part of this experience is the trivia part of this experience. So uh, for those who don't know, every episode we do a game of trivia. And the way this works is we're making a bet with all of y'all. If uh, Andrew is going to ask the trivia question, our guest is going to be the trivia master, uh, and uh, he'll ask a question. Uh, then in the amount of time it takes for me to answer that question, y'all also have to answer it. And you have to answer it in a comment below. Comment your answer. And then if you are correct, uh, you don't have to do anything. You win. You won the bet. If you get it wrong, though, you're going to hit that like and subscribe button. That's just the that's the bet you're making. And I'm sorry if you fail, but that's the rules. And now because you listen to me say this, you have to follow it. So, Andrew, mm -hmm. hit me with your trivia question. Do you know how to... Uh, play with the trivia category before and after. Uh, I don't know how. Okay, so it's going to be a two-part answer. Okay. I'm going to describe two things. The last word of the first answer is the first word of the second answer. But they're both going to be magic cards. Okay? Okay. All right. Okay, so the question is a two mana white vanilla creature that then becomes a two color forecast card okay so the first the first answer is a two mana white vanilla creature and then a two color mm -hmm. forecast card correct and there's only one that exists that that this is there, there, there's only one correct answer for this okay okay um, just there's like no way I'm going to get it. Uh, can I ask for rarities? Common and rare. Okay. And the forecast. Do I know uh, any abilities? Forecast card. Forecasting gold. That's the only thing I know about it. Rare. No, no the forecast mechanic. Oh, got it. So it is a forecast rare. Yes. That, okay, got it. Not a four CMC rare. Uh, yes. That makes that so much of a smaller amount of options. Correct. It's supposed to make it a lot easier. <laughs> I'm like edible, not impossible. How many gold four drops exist? Um. Okay. A gold forecast card. How many gold forecast cards? There can't have been that many, and they must. <laughs> like there can't be that many. <laughs> I'm not gonna get this. I don't know card names to save my life. These are like random cards that I would know if I drafted any. All right, of, all right. Of, well, yeah, this, yeah. Was, I'll, this, I'll, was, this, this was the hard mode one. The answer right. is Blade of the Sixth, Pride of the Clouds. Blade of the Sixth, Pride, and then Pride of the Clouds. Okay. Yeah, would not have would not have gotten it. All right, all right. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you an easier one. Here's an easier one. Okay. All right. <laughs> but wait wait one first, of modern so, the, the hard one's the one that everyone has to hit it subscribe and like all for, right so all right here's the here's the easier one easier one, one. of modern's black pre premier black planeswalkers and a single green mana protection spell okay oh lily out of the veil and veil of summer there you go all right cool i got one <laughs> yeah you got one <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> <laughs> um all right so but that second one that was just a freebie for fun the first one's the reason you have to hit like and subscribe everybody um and andrew thank you for being the trivia master for for today's those are great uh not surprised that someone who makes games uh came in with an added layer of game to this trivia game yeah 
All right. I have a list of questions I'm going to ask you. Seen some of them, some of you haven't, but uh, I guess I guess really I think this is going to be the main kind of crux of the podcast is me asking you questions. So the first one is sure. uh, right now at Wizards, how does development work? What is the process like? Generally, our process is broken down into I would say about five stages. So first, there's exploratory, where you know a lot of the pie in the sky ideas or like what makes this cool. Um, you know, what kind of plane are we on? What what are the themes that we're trying to hit? Very, very, very top level kind of throwing darts at a dartboard, right? That's stage one. Next is vision is when they connect, they collect a lot of all, all the darts and they're like, okay, which of these darts actually go together? So a lot of vision design is kind of like collecting what mechanics actually work well together uh, to ensure that like, you know, we can create an, a good experience. And then after that, there's set design, where um, you know a lot of those mechanics get fleshed out into like draft archetypes, rares, mythics. That's when a bulk of the like exact card design gets done. And then finally, um, I said four, I said five parts, but I mean four parts. <laughs> um, uh, and then finally, um, there's the play design part where. Uh, for, I would say, the final uh, nine to 10-ish months of the set being changeable, um, we, uh, we on play design we drafted a bunch, we play a bunch of standard decks, we think about the set for older formats, and we make a bunch of changes to a lot of the numbers. Um, that also means a lot of design changes, too. Like, if we feel like something isn't uh, meeting a certain goal, we'll happily just throw it in the fire. Um, I would say... Probably in terms of cards that make the final cut, I would say 1% of them come from vision design, 60% uh, of them come from set design, and 39% of them come from play design. And then, and then when you're going through that process, how much of what you're paying attention to is for like standard digital play, limited, and then like obviously internal formats like modern and legacy, mm -hmm. et cetera, and then or commander? Um. So we, we generally like to lock down um, all of the limited content um, as soon as possible. Um, just because it's um, when we do art, we generally ask for it. it. It comes in two waves, pretty much. The set's art. So since we generally want more reps and more feedback on like the rare cards, you know, cards that affect formats, um, we generally want to iron out all the commons first because Basically, in order to batch out the art, you know, evenly, we need to commission half of the set and then the other half of the set. So we do, we we normally do limited first, so that we can basically just get all the art for the commons done. Um, so you know, and then once we're done with the commons and limited, we'll then focus on basically what you were talking about, which is just all forms of you know constructed magic, whether it be. Modern, pioneer, historic, commander, standard. Uh, we basically think of all of it. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, in my mind, basically a lot of the best sets um, have cards for everybody. So like like I was saying, we, we, we definitely try to hit every single you know player type and make sure that there are cards that people can talk about um, regardless of what format they play. And... and in that 
process, which formats are you currently kind of maybe prioritizing the most versus others? Or is it kind of evenly? Where's your focus mostly at? Um, so my focus is mostly spent on um, just like ensuring that the rares have a home. Um, one of the recent philosophies that we've kind of uh, adapted, I would say, in the past like four years is um, kind of like the no rare left behind, like every rare is cool and for somebody. Um, I think Ixalan is one of the biggest offenders of you just look at the rares and you're like, who is this card for? Like nobody, nobody wants to own this. Like I get that it's like some tribal five drop rare, but like, you know, is this even at a rate where people are going to consider this for a commander? No. Is this a rate where people will consider this in standard? No. Okay. I guess it's for casual then, but then we're spending a rare slot on it. So like, you know, one out of so, a thousand casual players may see it. If that's the one pack they bought when they are 10. Right. Exactly. And, you know, we, we can do a lot better um, than a lot of those old rares. So uh, definitely a lot of my focus is just spent on like, oh, cool, that rare is for standard. Okay, this rare is for commander. And just kind of like gathering feedback from the stakeholders who, you know, play those formats and, you know, getting their opinions and then synthesizing that and then, you know, working with the set lead to ensure that we can get the, the best possible card for that slot. Cool. And then, so I, I guess is that has that been one of the biggest changes as far as philosophy goes in the last three or five years in, in regards to design? Um, uh, that was pretty big. Um, we've been making, like, we've been ensuring that there's, like, one, like, very standout strong common of each, uh, of a color, um, which we started to do in War of the Spark. That was another kind of big, biggest change. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, more scrutiny on rares, I think, has been one of our another one of our bigger changes for, for, for the better, too. I think, uh, you know, a lot of our recent sets, you you look at the rare sheet and if you like compare it to older sets, you're just like, wow, there are so many more cards here that I want to own. You look at like whatever time spiral or whatever, you're like, why would I ever want to own this card? Because it's like, it's a card Ben Bateman would love. That's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> They're all uh, for let's, bad. Let's say, let's say normal people would want to um, So if, I guess, I guess that's like a kind of a question on is, you know, now taking it. So every rare, every card that you're printing is like meant to have a home and, and anything below that is, is focused on limited to some extent. Is mm-hmm. this, you know, there was a lot of mention of this kind of fire design philosophy of making mm-hmm. it so every card is fun assuming that's part of that and that's gotten a yeah. little bit of a bad rap because people think it's like the power level spike where kind of are you on fun versus power versus difference versus who cards are made for which audiences um i mean the the way i like to think about it is that um cards should be at at, at the correct power level based on you know their goals and who they're for um like i want to i always want to make a card as powerful as it can be to meet that specific goal right like i want to make a you know an edh card that is good at milling or whatever right so like wolf i think one of the a recent example i can think of is maddening cacophony from uh 
Zendikar, right? So like that previously only milled one player, and then we thought about it, or we're like, okay, this could be more interesting for you know mill EDH if it's at each opponent, for example. Sure. So like doing a lot more kind of optimizations like that, and we're making it. At, we're trying to make the cards as strong as possible for their specific jobs, uh, while still being reasonable. Um, so, so you mentioned Ixalan and, you know, the design philosophies that kind of changed because of that era of magic design, Mm -hmm. you know, that's always kind of held in stark contrast or like kind of the, 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 one of the reasonings for where everything got to, to eventually lead to the Eldraine, Mm -hmm. um, War of the Spark, you know, power level spike era up to, I guess, Ikoria. Um, and how, and now we're kind of, the pendulum feels like it swung kind of back, not all the way to Ixalan, but like definitely more towards the middle between Strixhaven, uh, Magic the Forgotten Realms, the two uh, Innistrad sets. Kind of where, bet- in, in those, those spectrums, where has design gotten to and how are you kind of taking what happened once those cards were in the real world and applying it to design? Um, and that's a... That's a pretty hard question, and it's also a pretty hot button question. But... <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, you can always audible like, out. <laughs> yeah, no, no. no. I, I mean, I, I do want to answer the question. Sure. Like, the, the, obviously, I'm not going to like profess our, you know, our our exact philosophy and exactly like how we think that went. The the thing that I will say is that you know we're always trying to learn, adapt. And, you know, learn as many, I mean, take as many lessons as we possibly can from, you know, what we've done in the past. I guess what I'll say is, like, we, I've definitely taken a ton of lessons from, like, a lot of that era. Certainly, there were decisions made. We've definitely learned as many lessons as we can. And, like, I always constantly reflect on that and am trying to, you know, be better at, (laughs) <laughs> be the best that I can be at the job. So, yeah, it, it's just funny to me how uh, <laughs> how people. I, I feel like people just think that oh, they just did this and they didn't learn their lesson or whatever. <laughs> and it's not even like you know, quote unquote, learning your lesson. I mean, like it's uh, you know, re- reflecting and then trying to do as best as you can in the future. Well, yeah, I mean, and and to to y'all's credit, there is a serious time delay between feedback and ability to enact change based on that feedback, right? Like the, mm-hmm. the general life cycle, like life cycle of set design is a year and a half to two years before the set is released. So it is uh 10 months before, before when we have pencils down to when it gets released into the wild. So like being able to, take the feedback of a moment and, 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 and not to mention like, you know, there's also a history track record before you were even at wizards where like last minute changes also didn't always end up being positive outcomes. Skull clamp famously was nerfed <laughs> by making it a minus one to toughness. <laughs> so right, right, right. it's like, even, even if you were like, Oh, people think that this style of gameplay is problematic or too powerful we don't you don't want to make sweeping changes at the twilight hour of a set design so like 
uh, this is something I think we've always done on the podcast say, like, right, is, is yes, these things may be complaints you have now. Wizards is very apparent about how they're communicating between you and Gavim and, 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 and Maro and, you know, even like it trickles down pretty far on who's interacting with the community. And it just it takes time for that to come, you know, to to come to fruition. I guess I guess uh, second hot button issue. And this one, I think, is, uh, you know, it's becoming a lot more apparent. But this is kind of on that note is color ply power level, I guess, is is and, and if we don't want to talk about this, feel free to say we don't want to talk about it. But uh, <laughs> an, an example of this, I guess, is that white as a color pie was in a weird spot two to th- mm-hmm. two years to a year ago where power level wise in commander it was yep. very underpowered that's not to say that like white has been a top tier standard and modern powerhouse forever mm-hmm. from gideons to elsbeths to path to exile to stoneforge mystic etc right. but it was always once you took it to four player its power level kind of greatly decreased and mm-hmm. um in the last six months, especially, there's there's definitely been a big push to see like what cool creative spaces that white can play in. Uh, do you want to kind of talk about a little bit what's being done there, what has been done, and how the philosophy kind of changed around the color since then? Um, yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll get I'll give definitely give you my individual take. I don't think this is the the take of whatever our color pie or whatever. I'm definitely not a member of the council or whatever but I, I i i can have some sway but um so generally when I, whenever i think like the community like complains about something or you know talks about how something's an issue like i i always try to be the person who is not as reactionary like i definitely i definitely agreed with what you were saying like there, there were definitely some issues there um but i think some of our biggest errors have always come with kind of like larger scale changes so like we we've definitely we've added a ton to white but like i even feel like we've added too much and we've we've maybe overreacted a bit in some of our future design um by kind of using like oh white's weak lol as a crutch and sure yeah like i mean it also kind of goes back to what i was saying um in you know previous lessons learned in terms of like what actually gets us into trouble, and I actually think us overreacting to feedback is um, the the main way we get ourselves into trouble. Like magic as a system has so many years of you know like doing well that I don't think we have to rock the boat too much to actually get to the place we want to be. Sure, sure, that's fair. I, I I think I think with white the biggest it was almost a demographic change, right? Where the percentage of players playing multiplayer magic has so drastically changed in mm-hmm. 10 years uh, yeah. that like I can see the need to to look at it. But I also uh, agree with you that like swinging the other way. I mean, we we even said like when we did our we did an episode being like, why is white good or bad in commander or whatever? And like our main thesis statement at the end of it was like, Wizards has definitely hurt us because they've said it. And in like two years, you're all going to hate how powerful white is. <laughs> <laughs> because just like event, like the same way that kind of like that's a little bit happening to red with Dockside Extortionist, where it's mm-hmm. like red went from for a while being the worst color in Commander to having four of maybe the most powerful cards in the format. And just those four have made all of the other mid tier power level red cards significantly more important to the format. So 
uh, it's interesting how that pendulum can swing. And with with Commander, it's kind of a uh, like legacy. Once you open the bucket, mm-hmm. it's it it's very hard to put that bucket back. But yeah, I'm a I'm a moderate heart, so you know, definitely s- smaller changes is going to get us to the better ending than um, you know. There's just so much more room for error when you go for bigger sweeping changes. Sure, 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 sure. Um, now on to slightly more fun questions. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Those weren't fun. All Those right. were. I, I had a great. Yeah, yeah. Less, less. Maybe, maybe less stressful. Uh, so over the last over the last few years, what set were you most proudest of making? It's hard, um, just because you know I I work like a year into the future, so you know the the, the coolness kind of wears off. I mean, if you can't, if you can't feel comfortable answering, I would also love to hear what your favorite set coming up is. But I figured that would be a harder <laughs> one to answer. <laughs> uh, I, I like Neo Kamigawa Limited a lot. Okay. Um, I'm really stoked for that set. I'll take. I'll take. I'm most hyped for Neo for the next set. <laughs> That's always good. Uh, so yeah, it, it's it's my favorite set lead. Cool. Um, he's a. Some of my favorite limited formats were made by him. Um, so like War of the Spark, Ikoria, Dominaria. Um, that's this is Dave Humphreys, by the way. He's uh, just a master with the with the limited pieces, and uh, all I do is just he's a he's a fine weapon. So I just point him in the right direction. <laughs> um, now on the opposite end, mm-hmm. is there a set maybe you're most disappointed in? In a sense, I'm disappointed in Kaldheim. I feel like we had a lot of opportunities for cooler tribal decks, I would say. Like, um, when I was talking about rares, you know, how I was talking about how, you know, we put a lot more emphasis on each rare. Um, so tr- I always have a, a love-hate relationship with tribal decks because, you know, generally we have to print a, print multiple rares in order to, like, ensure that there's enough scaffolding for a deck, let's say, for, like, casual arena play or maybe top tier constructed play but um yeah we had a ton of opportunities like with giants with elves and uh yeah we just didn't get there and uh that called time was in that we it's in a weird lull zone um so like uh i was the lead of play design for zendikar rising not Kaldheim, and then Strixhaven forward. <laughs> so Kaldheim's just kind of in this weird zone for me where I feel like I could have done so much more to help it out. Um, but uh, yeah, other circumstances made sure that I didn't. But I, I would say that that's the one I'm most disappointed in. Sure. Um, so uh, similar, qu- I'm, I'm just going to do a bunch of best worst questions and then we'll, we'll, we'll get, <laughs> okay. we'll just, that's, that'll be the subject of the like sure. little uh, outline that people can click through the skip to their favorite parts. Um, sure. Favorite mechanic you've worked on? Uh, explore. Okay. I'm a, I'm a big fan of variance eliminator mechanics. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause you know, that's magic's biggest strength. Also it's biggest weakness. So anytime we can kind of smooth that over, while making it feel seamless is excellent. So I, I really love Explorer and cards like Jade Light Ranger. What's the what's the what's your least favorite mechanic you've worked on? I'll, I'll say this: my least favorite cards to work on are Red Mythics. <laughs> oh, why? <laughs> That's interesting. Red Red non-creature Mythics are just the hardest to make. <laughs> oh sure. What what like? Do you want to delve into that a little bit more? Or 
Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, okay. like, the design space just, like, isn't that big. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, oh, copy all the spells. Oh, deal more damage. Uh, what else does Red do? <laughs> um, I guess we could make a bunch of combats card. Oh, nobody's gonna like that. <laughs> okay, how about a... I don't know. It's just there's there's not that much red red non non creature mythic space. Sure, it, it's it it was kind of always one of the interesting problems with red. To to, to your to your credit, over the last five years, there's definitely been a much higher uptick of good red mythics. But it was always like a joke with the modern horizon sets, especially because you were like capped at like only cards printed before Innistrad of like, mm-hmm. oh, here's some good mythics in every color, and then red's gonna have Kiki-Jiki for the fifth time. Because, <laughs> like, Comet Storm, I think, <laughs> was the only other option. Right, right. There's only so many iterations of uh, X damage <laughs> Right. make cool. That's interesting. Yeah, so that's that's like, always a struggle. As a design space, it's just it's the hardest. That's really interesting. Yeah, blue-green hybrid also sucks, too. I hate that. Blue-green <laughs> hybrid, specifically? Yes. Why? They, 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 they don't share anything. They, like, draw cards and put lands into play, right? That's their main mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> Blue doesn't put lands into play. That's fair. Oh, yeah, hybrid, I, I guess. Hybrid cards have to be... Both. Um, both, yeah. Okay. So they can, like, do damage when they <laughs> attack a player, or they draw a card when they hit a player. Yeah, you that's, can do that. That's There's the design like space. Setting your power and toughness, moving okay. counters. Both of them do that, I guess. <laughs> they share they share everybody's favorite keyword, hexproof. Sure. That's never been too powerful. I don't think mm-hmm. that's ever been an issue, especially not in limited. But yeah, definitely when you think about it more, you you get that face that you just had on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, they don't actually do anything together. That's really so I guess. Because in the last two, it, this was like a, a thing that happened, right? Is we did our top 10 blue-green cards in Modern episode because we previewed uh-huh. um, the blue-green Merfolk Lord, the Lord of Atlantis from from oh, cool. one, one of the Ixalan sets. And it was like in contention for best two along with Slippery Boggle. And then like two years later, we like re-looked at blue-green and we're like, oh, the top 10 best blue-green cards have been printed in the last year. (laughs) (laughs) What kind of like, what was realized between those two moments on just like what (laughs) blue-green's color pie could be? Or was it just like enough gold sets? I would also contend your word best there. What do do you mean by best? Uh, Most powerful in modern. (laughs) Oh, gotcha, gotcha, okay. Yeah, yeah, not not best for the game, maybe. But yeah, yeah, I would not, I would not say, I would not use best in that context. <laughs> Most powerful. <laughs> gotcha. Now I understand. We're there. We're there. So, so, uh, what was the what changed? <laughs> what, what is this? Is this basically an Uro Oko question? Well, no, because there's like, uh, I'm going to forget every card name. Gross Spiral. Gross Spiral. Hydro Crisis. crisis, There's the Sacrifice of Thing. uh, Not Eldritch Evolution, but the other. uh, Uh, Yeah. Neo. Neo Form. Neo Form. There's. um, I mean, when you make Ravnica sets, you make more blue green cards. So that was a catalyst (laughs) for more of them. And then then just like. yeah, I guess I guess you went back to Ravnica and then Oko and Uro were printed. And between those like three happenstances, I guess and Strixhaven, you've now just like been to enough places with blue green as a faction plus Oko. <laughs> yeah. 
Okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that makes sense. <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, we, yeah, we ran the numbers multiple times. <laughs> um, okay, so so I guess the next thing that we have is kind of a just like some more design stories conversations. And, and first, sure. uh, we're gonna do uh, just some mechanics, and like, these are a little bit more contentious. And then uh, I asked the internet, uh, both on Twitter and Discord, uh, mm-hmm. like which of their what was their favorite cards design in the last three years or whatever and so i have a list of sure. them from them but uh let's let's start with mechanics so uh just like stories behind them how they were designed developed uh and anything you kind of worked on them so let's start uh dungeons dungeons okay um so dungeons were thought of by one of the original hosts jules he was the set lead for adventures in the forgotten realm um yeah, they went through tons and tons of iteration. Um, one interesting piece is that uh, Adventures in the Forgotten Realm was basically our first set where like bulk of the design was done in the pandemic. Um, one of my last memories of The Office is seeing Jules play with an early prototype of Dungeon, which was heinous, by the way. It was like... You had four choices every single time, and I was like, "Yeah, that's not going to be reasonable at all." And he's like, "But we're just play testing." I'm like, "Get it out of here!" But that's just me <laughs> being the being the negative, the uh, sorry, the realist in the room, local the curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll we'll say the curmudgeon realist. Yeah, yeah, monk realist is actually my uh, my invitational card. Um. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, a lot of it was done via work from home. Um, but yeah, it was definitely really tough. Um, I think we were mostly successful with the the middle dungeon and the 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 sacrificey dungeon. But mm-hmm. I think we definitely missed a little low on the long dungeon. Not enough people went through it in limited, and obviously there were some definitely some color imbalances with uh, red being too strong in AFR limited and some of the venture cards being a little weaker than they should be. Sure. So o- overall, I think dungeon was mostly a success for like for such a parasitic mechanic, but um, I would definitely do some things differently if I could. I mean, no, you know, twenty twenty hindsight vision. Sure, sure, sure. Um, what what kind of got you to pick only three dungeons? What was what was where did that? How did how did uh, you whittle down in that direction? Mostly just grokkability. Like, okay, it, it should feel different, but it shouldn't be an impossible choice. You know. Sure, sure. So three is definitely a good uh, a good number for. Hey, it's interesting. I can choose different things sometimes, but it's not like impossible. Sure. I, w- I will say, so I have uh, a Varus Commander deck built, and I have completed every dungeon at least twice in one game, which has been cool to do. Nice. <laughs> Maybe nice. I should have won by the time I got through the, the all three, <laughs> uh, for sure. But it was definitely, I, I think as far as mechanic, it's really fun. All right, next next one then, uh, Mutate. Mutate was a hard one. We were very much restricted by the card Paradise Druid in Standard. Just because it was a hexproof card that you can mutate onto. Okay. Which was not super fun to do. So we definitely had to tone down a lot of the like runaway mutate designs that didn't have to attack. Okay. 
Like, if Paradise Druid is a human, I think, like, the average power level of a lot of the mutate designs just goes up. <laughs> Interesting. So, oh, that's yeah. that's fascinating. So, like, there were times in design that everyone was beating themselves up, being like, why is this an elf? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it was made a year, a year ago, so. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, sometimes you're just like, well, couldn't do anything about that. So, okay, so so Paradise Druid ended up being, so, like, a lot of the, so, like, the Porky Parrot stuff, the static, you tap it, or whatever, or the ETB stuff, kind of just had to get whittled down. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Like, uh, any, any, any mutate card that, like, kind of, like, dominated the board while not, like, having to attack or whatever was mm-hmm. definitely an issue, because then it's just hexproof. Sure, sure, sure. And we don't like hexproof <laughs> cards that run away with the game. Which is, I guess, kind of where Ward came from, right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Um, also, speaking of Jules, yeah, that was uh, Jules and I were the progenitors of Ward. Um, I'd always uh, been a fan of using those like slight hexproof variants on a bunch of cards, and then eventually, both of us were like, "Yeah, we should just do this." And then we made a presentation to the group, and then the keyword got adopted. So I guess I lied to you previously. I've made one mechanic; it's Ward, but that's nice. It. Hey, I mean, if you're going to make a mechanic, one that's just like evergreen and available to all the time is a mechanic to make. Sure. Adventure cards. So these are the, you're talking about the Eldraine adventure cards? Correct. Correct. Any sort of DFC mechanic is always a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, like people love having to do more with their cards. <laughs> so uh, adventure definitely lets you do that really easily. Um Obviously, with some hindsight, twenty twenty, some of them maybe should have been a little weaker. But for for the most part, I think they've they ended up fine. Like there are worse cards to be the strongest in the environment than Bone Crusher Giant and um, Brazen Borrower. Yeah, yeah, uh, and yeah, Lovestark Beast too. That although that one is probably one of the more nefarious ones to be the stronger one, just because it pushes out other stat lines, but. Oh, so that's yeah. so, I, so that's interesting. So of the three, because of those three, like that's the one that's seen the least mm-hmm. amount of play outside of standard, right? But right. versus uh, Brazen Borrower and Giant, which see see mm-hmm. sta- see a ton of modern play. So of right. the but of those three, you think because of its just effect on what other cards could see play? Yeah, I mean, Stomping Giant has that effect too. Sure. Um, or what? Bone Crusher Giant. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was fine. called Stomping Giant. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it has that effect too. It it's very punishing against two toughness creatures. Um, especially like if you, it basically like cut out a lot of the, you know, X two or X two or X one creatures without ETBs from standard. Um, which that, that is definitely a, a large subset of, of stuff, but it's not as large as the subset, uh, that, um, love struck beast blanks. Why is that? Uh, the, just, you know, four Three fours man, five, are five. four fours are not as good. Three threes sure. are not as good, right? Like the, those are the cards we 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 want to be good. Sure, sure. It like the it's more that it shuts out car. There are a ton of cards that a one mana removal spell or a, a two damage removal spell for value are going mm-hmm. to kill, but that removal spell is going to exist in some format semi often. The like oh, just three and four power things aren't worth it anymore is a much Correct. larger slew of cards. Got it, got right. it. Static ability Planeswalkers. Uh, love them. I think uh, one of the main lessons I learned from War was we shouldn't do detrimental static abilities on Planeswalkers. Um, 
but yeah, I think now that we kind of have that unlocked, our design space with Planeswalkers is, is just so much bigger, and we get to make niche Planeswalkers, which is really cool, a lot easier. Um, so like the Tyvars of the world, I think those definitely have a have a cool audience. So um, yeah, huge, huge fan. And like, so when you say that, what makes it more capable to be kind of niche? Um, I mean, we can just kind of add the build around effect um, to the static. It's, it's just basically, it gives us another kind of tool in the toolbox. Your elves cost one less. Your ele- like you, Nissa could say your elementals get plus one, plus one, right? Like, we can kind of keep it simple, keep it also like short and appealing and in your face too, without. And, uh, you know, with Planeswalkers, we want you activating different abilities at different times because, like, that's what the card type does. So uh, it allows us to keep, like, a constant build around instead of having to put a build around in one of the abilities. But then again, we don't want you to activate the same ability uh, every single time. So it just makes it a lot easier for us to make, like, interesting build around Planeswalkers. Got it. So basically, they allow you to, like, create game states with your planeswalker but then still give choices every round so it's not just like a a thing like you're not basically playing an enchantment that could be attacked it it almost is the opposite of what it appears right where normally if you have a planeswalker where it's almost always correct to do the exact same move every time it basically just Mm -hmm. is an enchantment that can be attacked but by making them have an enchantment like effect you can then make their other ability something that can be modular correct that's cool okay yeah like Nissa Ravain is technically an elf build around, but not a fun one, right? Sure, 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 Because you're sure, just sure. so priced into to activating the ability. All right. Uh, on the more contentious side, Companion. Uh, the one thing I'll say about Companion is I'm a big fan of the pay three to put in your hand. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, the mechanic escape. <laughs> um, g- generally... Generally, I think it's a good mechanic. Um, flashback mechanics are cool, especially when you have to like spend resources, spend resources for them. Um, it's really kind of a, a, a play design dream, really, because there's just so many numbers you can mute, you can you can change like mana cost, number of cards, escape reward. Yeah, there's just there's really a lot going on there. So big fan of escape. Of the different flashback variants, aftermath, flashback, escape. Which one would you mm-hmm. say is your favorite? Uh, probably escape just because okay. like, you know, the, the cost to exiling more cards, I think is like actively fun. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously it's, it's pretty spiky in terms of like, okay, which ones do matter, et cetera. But, um, I think for, in terms of like pure gameplay, what's better. I, I, I think I like escape the most cause it has the, the best checks and balances system. Sure. Sure. You can, you can fight against it. All right. So uh, these are specific stories about specific cards. Uh, the first one uh, is from Marshall Magic. Uh, Nicol Bolas, Dragon God. That's the War of the Spark, Nicol Bolas. Okay, sure. That card was made by Dave Humphreys. I remember the day when it was just, it just had abilities and Dave and I weren't happy with it. And I was just over by his desk and he he randomly pitched the idea to me, what if he's all the planeswalkers? And I was like, I don't know what that means. You're going to have to be more specific. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, so let's use a War of the Spark. Well, well, let's use a static to mean that he can just activate all of the abilities. I'm like, A, that's cool. B, 
can digital even do this? <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, apparently digital could. And yeah, uh, that's how we got to Nickel Bull's Dragon God. All right. This is from Big Dan. Bergy, Bergy, the red Kaldheim God that uh, backside is her horn that you can discard a card to exile oh, two Bergy. cards. Bergy. Bergy. Oh, big fan of Bergy. Um, yeah, uh, Bergy's nickname. <laughs> so uh, when we were developing that, when we were making that card, um, it's uh, we, we often called it Runaway Steamkin with Experimental Frenzy on the back. which which is kind of what it is um but yeah no that card basically didn't change that's a it's very rare i would say only about two percent of cards ever go from set design through play design unchanged um but that was one of them the horn might have been four mana for a minute but i think we rightfully moved it to five mana and i think it's really well balanced now Sure, and even shows up in Commander, shows up in you know yeah, yeah, Vintage no. Cube too. So it's a a real home run of a card. Yeah, definitely, def- like a slam dunk that didn't break any format. I think is like exactly where you want to be. Yeah. Um, Storm Kiln Artist. Storm Kiln Artist. Oh, um, yeah, this was three mana for the longest time, and at one of our like final meetings of like. Hey, should we actually, you know, really take a closer look at the rates? You know, are we okay with this? Somebody convinced me to move it to four mana, and I think that was definitely for the best, um, given some of the combo decks in standard. With, with cards like that, I really like, you know, you know, fragile-ish kind of three-card combos, um, especially for standard. I think those are really, really fun and interesting for arena. But, I mean, that one's super click-intensive. It takes a long time, which are definitely good arguments against it, right? Sure. Generally, when people assemble those combos, like, I want them to have an overwhelming advantage and or win super quickly. Mm -hmm. But uh, this one definitely takes a long time. And, you know, in retrospect, I'm kind of glad it costs four mana now. It's seeing play in like CDH, right? So like, in, right. like if it's there, it's probably at a good power level. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean it's it's a it's it's a serious combo card, no doubt. Yeah, well, and and just like swinging with a seven two in a format where no mm-hmm. one's playing creatures is a lot of damage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Plus, you know, who people don't need life for ad nauseum. That seems bad for everyone. Uh, expressive iteration. But from Fleegler. Um, oh, and Stormkiln Artist was Jonathan Arnett. Sorry, I'm forgetting sure. putting people's names out there. But yeah, Expressive Iteration, Fleegler. Uh, yeah, uh, this was... I actually came up with this card. With uh, Strixhaven, one thing I kind of wanted to hit is um, coming up with what I call Lightning Helix cards. Just kind of like iconic, powerful, like relatively easy to grok two-color cards that are like, you know, know cheap ish and format staples so that was my goal with iteration and it you know i did it (laughs) (laughs) was there uh was there any that you missed on for the other the other classes uh yeah i think the other big shot was the um decisive denial it was originally fight and negate but uh we changed it to leak leak negate and fight i mean obviously 
didn't didn't show up as much and hindsight maybe it should have been the full negate but that was another one kind of in contention there uh shark typhoon from trent (laughs) 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 um so, so i definitely have a good story about this one so shark typhoon was in the set was in the file without cycling and with a different name and so Dave Humphreys is also the lead of Ikoria, but he's not very, let's say, knowledgeable in the way of the memes. Okay. So I was I was on him about getting some either a snakes on a plane reference <laughs> or a Sharknado reference into Ikoria because, you know, those are dope. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, basically I was like, you have to make it you have to make these tokens sh- flying sharks and trust me, the creative team and the artist will get this right. And he's like, okay, I trust you. And then, uh, yeah. And then to make it stronger, we added the cycling. <laughs> sure. <laughs> why not? And, uh, first day of class from Cody Nye enthusiast. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, I believe I also came up with this one. I wanted to basically make sure that the red lesson creatures were a little bit better. So basically first day of class makes your spirit summoning into thundering giant. So it's primarily for limited, but I know it definitely sees uh, play in some combo decks um, in other formats, which is cool for a common. Yeah. And so I guess, I guess that's a question like at, at what process was for learn was the decision to like add the looting effect as a worst case scenario backup plan added? And like, how did that process happen? Cause that's a big, like the, the looting is one of the reasons first class is good, right? Like it's played in dredge where you can discard and then get things that then have haste that turn. I mean, basically it was, I think, you know, having safety valves is good. Like I was saying, um, it's also another variant smoother mechanic, which, uh, like I was saying, I was, I'm a pretty big fan of, but yeah, I mean, it also just makes it so that drafting isn't so stressful. Like it, it makes sure that you don't have to draft uh, a lesson in order to feel good about playing your learn card. So, uh, I'm generally a big fan of the bio clause. Um, this is from house of cards, uh, Malakir rebirth. Malakir Rebirth. That's the uh, uh, flip land mono yeah, black. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Uh, this, yeah, I came up with this card. Nice. Somebody likes this. Perfect. <laughs> this card's this card sees like a ton of play. This is like a real card. Yeah, yeah. Um, love this card. No, yeah. I mean, I I, I loved uh, working on all of the DFC flip lands, and apparently, I'm the I'm the biggest uh, proponent of uh, supernatural stamina in all of. Uh, R&D, so anytime I can put it on more cards, the better. And I think it's just a generally fun effect for all many formats. So I'm, I'm glad that someone put this on their favorite list. Just just it, uh, a creature comes back when it dies, and you get extra ETB effects. And this is also a land. Um, yep. Yeah, this card's dope. I've like put, uh, like, I could not have more Malachi Rebirths. The number of decks I've just like put it as a one of into just because like, oh, if this Tarmogoyf dies... It won't die. And it will be sad <laughs> or it's a land. <laughs> yeah. It's also a fun card to be strong too. Like, you know, magic's one of Magic's strengths is like, you know, hidden information reversals. Like people always call out giant growth as being awesome. And I think this is like 
kind of the along the same level. Right. Where like it counters a lightning bolt. It does the extra damage than you expected it and makes blocking hard. And this is a card that like, oh, all of the things I made were ruined by this open black mana. Oh, look, interesting decisions. <laughs> uh, Turgrid by uh, Tom Turgrid. Jensen. Oh, nice. This is a this is a this is a fun one. Um, oh, damn. More more Dave Humphrey stories, I guess. But uh, <laughs> Dave Humphreys is one of the most stubborn people in all of R&D um, to his benefit and detriment at the same time. Um, but uh, tons of people told him that nobody would like Tegrid because, you know, some people don't find that gameplay fun. And he always countered back with. But there are some people who absolutely love it and i always uh i definitely respect him for having a lot of those those uh those stubborn viewpoints and i think you know tiger definitely came out uh fine and apparently people love it so great um and then the last one is uh from will sheridan charming prince before we get the discord i guess uh will sheridan charming prince charming prince okay i got a fun one for this one um so Javier Dominguez's invitational card, um, he didn't, we didn't have a lot of time. So we kind of had to basically choose, a, we, we kind of had him choose a card from Eldrain. Um, so basically one of the first cards that we showed him was Charming Prince. And he was like, oh, this is cool. You know, this could see older format play and this, this could, you know, be a card in standard. So basically that was like the first card he had his eye on that he chose. And we actually commissioned, we had an art revision of him as the charming prince with the trophy in his hand. Um, but then, you know, after we spent more time balancing charming prince, he's like, ah, you know, I don't feel like this is going to meet my goals of, you know, being uh, a format all-star. So then he's like, okay, I'll just, I'll just switch to fervent champion. But he could have been murderous writer too. But he chose oh. Fervent Champion. Of the three cards, that would not be a, would not have been my choice. <laughs> uh, yeah, like <laughs> that's fascinating. Okay, that yeah, that I yeah, I'm glad we got a we got an interesting story as the last one. Yeah. Um. So so uh, well, that's the last of like the Twitter ones. We have Discord ones next, and then uh, and oh then my God. I, I know I, you said pick cool cards. These are a little bit more controversial. I mean, anything on, on a band list, I'm going to pass. You already uh, know this. Literally, all five of these are going to be problematic then. So we're just going to skip this section. <laughs> so you know it was Underworld Breach, Oko, Mystic Sanctuary, Golos, Teferi, and Yurion. My Discord is a lot spikier than my Twitter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, yeah, your, your, your Twitter is very wholesome. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's on purpose. So everyone, you should follow. You should follow both of us. Me, I'm at Kess Wiley. Uh, Andrew, <laughs> where can people follow you on Twitter? <laughs> uh, at uh, Merck underscore Lurker. It was there was in the in the little show notes at the beginning. But uh, all right. So um, I guess I guess for like the last section and this might be passes as well, because I know this isn't really the side of the world that you focus too heavily on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Modern Horizons 1 and Modern Horizons 2 development, uh, how from like your knowledge, how did they differ between how the first one was done and how the second one was done? And how do you think they went? And were there any surprises on what cards were good or bad from, from when they came out versus when they were out, including, uh, I mean, the, the biggest difference was, um, one, there was, 
most of the work was done in-house and then two there were um external contractors um that were given like a month of work to do for the for the second one yeah for the second one and unfortunately that's all i can really say on that sure 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 pioneer can you talk about pioneer a little bit uh yeah i mean uh pioneer is awesome i think it's definitely a good opportunity for us to make a new format that people are going to care about and i think you know tbd on you know tournaments and such but like it's definitely i think a, a format that everybody should keep their eyes on so yeah so that's that's all i have uh uh thank you so much for joining but as always it's great to have you on we you know when we get another chance to have you back on we'd love to do it again maybe after kamigawa and and the the best set or the favorite set you've worked on in a while i'm, I'm excited to see it uh always always a fan uh of apparently always a fan of Dave Humphrey's limited environments because everyone you listed is like hot fire and uh, all about it. So yeah, uh, <laughs> it is, it is fiery and I'm a big fan. Sick. Um, and uh, where can people, I, we already said Twitter, but, uh, and, and beyond just like every magic set that comes out, where's the best pl- uh, place for people to find you on the internet? I mean, just, just Twitter. Okay. You can definitely feel free to, uh, I, I will post polls intermittently and, you know, those polls actually do inform, you know, some future discussion of magic. So if you have an opinion, you can definitely feel free to express that on my polls because, you know, real talk, I do talk about them with uh, the other important card makers at Wizards. So that is a it's an active way to affect the game. Uh, also, but don't if- be snark. but it's it's a snark free zone Uh, also if if, uh, anyone ever reads any of the articles on the mothership that are like a card and then all the different notes the different designers gave about it uh, Andrew is a bro uh, in all of those and normally has the the better the better comments (laughs) Um, uh, and beyond that uh, make sure uh, once again check out our Patreon uh, hit that like and subscribe button if this is the first time you've seen this podcast we do modern content on a weekly basis Uh, we'll start doing modern live streams starting in January where Ben's going to play modern against friends every Sunday Uh, and uh, we are also do our commander stream every Monday uh night and uh yeah you get this episode out early if you do the subscribe to patreon so that is a uh thursday morning bonus thing that you get if you had uh listened to this episode a week early you would have heard us talking about arcane and tft uh which was a really fun conversation so definitely still check that out it is up there forever uh and then the episodes come out every tuesday audio and and video on youtube so thank you so much thank you andrew again for joining uh, the podcast as always and we'll talk to everyone uh next week 